Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Marketing on Mars. Today, I'm super duper excited. We're joined by the VP of Microsoft Teams Calling and Devices, Ilya Buchstein. And uh, I hope I'm saying your last name right. <laughs> you are, um, you are. Did I say it right? Okay. Um, super duper excited. Uh, Ilya has been with Microsoft for many, many years. Uh, one of the more senior members there uh, at, at the Microsoft office. He's currently uh, residing in the US. I'm calling from Vancouver. Ilya, super excited to have you on. Maybe we can just get started and you can kind of tell us a little bit about your background um, and how maybe a story of how you started at Microsoft and what you're doing today. Sure. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'm actually from the Vancouver area. So I grew up okay. from about grade three or four in the Vancouver area and suburbs, went to school nice. in Langley, um, went to university at SFU and UVic. And so I uh, worked for what was a, kind of a large um, consulting company there called Sierra Systems. Uh, for a while, right out of university and actually during university. And then a few of us jumped out to do a startup in the uh, natural gas uh, industry. And as part of that job, I um, I won't lie, I was trying to get free stuff from big companies, you know, because we were a startup. <laughs> so free software, free free hardware. And so I got to know the, the folks at the very small back then Microsoft uh, office in Vancouver. I think it was about six people. And um, there was an opportunity that Microsoft had. They were starting up what's called Microsoft Consulting Services in Vancouver. And I was that first MCS guy in September 94. Uh, So 28 years ago, just I think it was last week was 20 years. So um, from there, worked in Vancouver for a while. And then in December of 98, I had an opportunity to kind of come to the mothership, if you will, and moved uh, down here and just have done a variety of roles ever since. I've been in evangelism. Uh, I was an executive speech writer, wrote, uh, ran a team of executive speech writers, marketing, and then changed into product planning and what we call, you know, PM, used to be called program management, now it's product management. So I have been kind of leading product teams for a while, uh, most recently in what used to be called Link, then Skype for Business, that morphed into Teams. So in the communication and collaboration area. Right. So how would you categorize the first 20 years uh, that you spent at, uh, at Microsoft? Was that more into... You were just doing a bunch of different roles. You were more yeah. into systems, uh, into the product management and kind of like evangelism, right? You said the first 20 years and then pr- product marketing really started in 2014 when you joined the Skype for Business side, right? Or, uh, yeah, uh, or is there another yeah, way? That's right. I, uh, when I came to back then, it was Link right before we changed names to Skype for Business. That was when I started doing product. I would say before product. then I did evangelism, marketing, speech writing, but I started yeah. really like figuring out how to build or be part of building products uh, when I moved into this space and yeah, I think it was 2013 or 2014, something like that. Yeah. Do you think the landscape for product marketing has changed a lot since you first started? Because marketing overall, the tools and the softwares have 
has has grown and, and improved a lot since 2014. Do you think just the landscape of product marketing has changed at all in the last eight years? I mean, I think I think it's changed dramatically. Some things always stay the same. Having yeah. uh, a great understanding of the customer, a great connection to customers and scenarios and customer empathy. Uh, on the outbound side, having really clear and concise messaging, you know, those stay the same. But if I look at my own experience, for the first 20 years, we would ship product every three years or so. Uh, you know, there'd be a server or a client or office or whatever release every three years. And so your cycle would be completely different of sort of understand the customer, lock in some scenarios, work, 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 do a big launch, and you go back into it. The cloud has changed all of that. And um, yeah. for example, uh, if we ship the feature on uh, Skype for Business, which was an on-premise server product, by the time 20% of our users would see that feature, because we'd release it, IT have to download it, install it, up, roll it out to users. It would be like two years. Whereas in Teams, wow. if we ship a feature, uh, Teams is always up to date, always, always current. So if we ship a feature, it goes to hundreds of millions of users, you know, over a couple of hundred million users very quickly. And so I think that... <clears throat> The tool set you use and the way you think about customer connection has just changed dramatically. Um, you can do things like experiment. So we can take two different versions of audio processing for noise cancellation and try it with literally millions of users and see who rates their calls or meetings higher. Um, so I think that the scale, the pace, the technology of these sort of cloud service-based experiences is, has changed how you think about building good product. That's amazing. Well, I'm very, very excited to dive into product marketing. What are the keys to success? And especially coming from you know a large organization like Microsoft, how you do all that, how you do all that testing. I'm excited to dive into all of that. But first, there's a little bit of a tradition on the show and Ilya, I just told you before, just before you jumped on, we do do hot sauce on the show just to start things off. You had told me that you don't eat spicy, so you're going to be drinking alcohol instead. Is that is that I'm correct? Gonna what do you have? have beverage here uh, with some uh, uh, keeping it nice and cold uh, with my right. extra uh, uh, ice cubes, metal ice cubes. So right. yeah, I'll join you in a different way. Okay, okay, that's okay. So I have some here. This is a Carolina Reaper. I actually got this in Portland. I was on the way to Portland. And I drove by Seattle. I picked up some stuff from Seattle as well. And uh, these have been my two favorite hot sauces ever since. So cheers. Cheers. Yeah, <laughs> it never gets easy. Oh. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> okay. Whew. All right. So I wanted to dive into product marketing, number one, because that is the area that you are in. But number two, when you're working at such a large company like Microsoft, 
obviously for smaller companies, you got to do a lot more to get your brand in front of customers and to educate the customers and to even stand out, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot you need to do, but with a large company like Microsoft, where your brand is well known everywhere, you don't have to work too hard to become known. Product marketing must be the most important piece of marketing nowadays. What do you, what do you think? Do you agree with that statement or, um, or do you have I anything think, to add? So I'm, I'm not going to disagree that product marketing is important. Product management is important. I, I, I totally agree with that. I think though that uh, there are kind of multiple important things. For example, when you think Microsoft, what products do you think of? I'm thinking Outlook. Yep. I'm thinking just a PC mm -hmm. and um, Internet Explorer. Um, I also do think about Microsoft Teams, but last. Right. So now go back to pre-pandemic. If I was to tell someone, hey, you work at Microsoft, what do you work on? Oh, I work on this thing called Teams. Get a blank stare, right? Now, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I'd say it's it's kind of like Zoom. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Or if I'm at business, I'd say it's maybe like Cisco WebEx. Okay, yeah. So when you're at a big company, you also, lots, it's very hard to come across someone who hasn't heard the name Microsoft. But right. much like you, it goes back to what have they had experience with? Windows, Internet Explorer, maybe Office, mm. maybe Outlook. So how mm. do you incubate something that's new it's a new category, a new experience. And then how do you break through? And the breakthrough part is with you, you have multiple audiences. With users, how do you get people to want to try something? With the buyers, which often in a business scenario for us is IT, and they got lots of different stuff they have to worry about. So how do you make them aware of something new? Uh, and then kind of uh, with broad awareness that Microsoft even plays in this space. and. I've had um, the fortune of working on areas that, that were new categories for Microsoft. So Teams itself, I would argue, started off as, uh, we didn't invent the category, Slack was there, Zoom was there, but it was a new thing for yeah. Microsoft. Within that, the meetings part that I now work on, and, and especially devices, that was completely new. So one of the things we still still work hard at is, uh, when people think Microsoft Teams, they may not think, oh, I walk into a meeting room and there's some sort of a system that runs Teams that let me, lets me join a meeting with one touch. Or my mm. other area, calling, we have a very significant business there, but um, if you were to tell me honestly, did you know that you could use Teams as a phone to call just normal numbers? No, no. You're, you're not alone, right? So... <clears throat> We have to try, ideally, to build that discovery and that like virtual virtuous cycle of usage and purchase into the product. But our friends and colleagues in uh, outbound marketing, you know, they we need their help to drive awareness, air cover, uh, to help get the message out. Which I think our our advertising team, by the way, did extremely well during COVID to try to raise awareness mm. of teams. Um, so lots of pieces go into when you're at a big company starting something up and making that scale. So many questions, but I want to ask the first thing. Obviously, sure. Zoom 
Skype, all these other pla- Slack, all these other pl- platforms, even Google Google Meets, they all had their own video um, service, video calling service. How did how did Microsoft Teams do? Like, I assume you guys have grown quite a bit. You said that they did an awesome job advertising. What was the secret to success for that? For that to break through all the noise. Everyone knows Zoom. Everyone knows you know, Google Meet. But how did uh, how did uh, Microsoft Teams get their uh, their name out there? Yeah. So the the stats we uh, have publicly announced in our earnings, we had about twenty million monthly active users of Teams before the pandemic, and we're at about two hundred and seventy million after the pandemic. So massive growth, massive growth. So 30, 30 X growth almost. Correct. And, and, or um, 20 X. Uh, I'm not doing the math quick enough, but I'm not doing uh, the math fast enough either. 15, 20, 10 to 15 X growth. Okay. So massive yeah. growth. What, what so were the secrets of success there? Yeah. Well, and I will say, uh, a lot of our work actually was in keeping up with the growth. So, you know, you, you get pretty mm. humbled when people, during pandemic had to find some way to do work and stay connected. And right. when you see demand for your platform go up that much, a lot of your effort goes right. into how can we make sure the platform scales? Right. But coming back to your, I think you're, you're maybe more interested in what was in the product that made people want to use it. Or and the I messaging, that, you, you said messaging was important, right? Like sure. what were some of the keys to success there? Yeah, so I think the the thing that's a little bit unique about Teams, and I would say Google Meet would be the second closest in this, is that Teams combines everything that I do during the workday. Now, you you mentioned Outlook, and uh, when I think back to the 90s and 2000s, Outlook was the one window that I always had open. You know, it was where you lived. Like your emails came in, someone would send you a Word document, and you'd work on that, and you'd send it back. But it's very individual centric. It's me, people sending me something. Teams is collaboration centric. But it brings in everything from what we call Microsoft 365, the rest of Microsoft productivity. And so what I mean by that is now Teams is my primary window that I keep open. And it's where people reach me via chat. It's where the groups that I work in go back and forth, channels and teams. It's also where most of the time I can get at all of the things that I work on. My OneDrive is in that SharePoint. So when I need to look up a budget spreadsheet or a presentation, I start from teams. I can actually work on PowerPoint within teams. So it's become the platform for collaboration versus just a meeting app. And I think that was fundamentally one of the key differences was before, I think uh, we'd have a meeting like you and I are doing, and we yeah, yeah. close the meeting and it's gone. <laughs> and mm-hmm. most products, certainly Skype, I'd say, were kind of built that way. It was you have a phone right. call, you have a chat, you have a meeting, and then it's gone and you move on. And mm-hmm. Teams made everything open and permanent, if you will, and ongoing. And so you have a meeting and it's saved and you could see the transcript from that meeting and you can wow. uh, see that there was a PowerPoint deck you and I worked on in that meeting. And so the meeting ends, we keep working together in teams. Uh, that 
seems mm. like it was the right product for a time when people couldn't get together physically, but still had to work together. Uh, and so I think that that paradigm really resonated and it was really accelerated by the pandemic. So uh, are, are you saying then these uh, these collaboration tools, um, they all were created during the pandemic? So, no. So if you think about uh, Zoom, great yeah. video meeting tool. Right. All of a sudden during the pandemic, they, I think, had to add things like making Zoom into a phone system and mm-hmm. adding a lot more. They had to add a lot of features. Um, and now for Zoom, I would say uh, they had sort of multiple classes of users, um, people at home, the church group, the social, group, right. whatever, as well as business. Um, Teams was created as a sort of chat channel product originally. But I think the thing that was kind of brilliant about um, a guy named Brian McDonald, who started the Teams team here and, and some of the initial founders, they really did think about it as a platform for all collaboration. And so mm. during the pandemic, we already had a base where you could have OneDrive and SharePoint and Yammer and, uh. and PowerPoint work all within Teams. And we had to work hard to add a bunch of features. Um, right. Before the pandemic, the average number of people in a Teams meeting was like two point something. So having four videos was great, it was fine. All of a sudden that was, you know, eight something on average and you needed nine video windows or more, 49. So that's just one of the things we worked on. Um, Reactions like, you know, I can uh, applaud a point you're making. We had to do that. Uh, the, The importance of that just became way more pointed as like sort of all of work moved on to teams. But but I think the advantage we had going in was we had a really good platform and design. Now, coming back to the messaging, I think the challenge was letting people know that it existed. Yeah. And the advertising and marketing campaign we, we ran was Nothing Stops a Team. Uh, and we showed people using Teams. Um, there's a, pro- like, the one I remember... Uh, or two, I remember. One was a um, bicycle shop in New York. I think it's it's Priority Bikes, and like people weren't coming to their shop, so they had to go on the teams to show people the bikes and kind of show around. And then they found that that actually expanded their business because you don't have to be in New York to buy a Priority Bike. You can be in Vancouver right. or in Seattle. Um, Everything to, uh, I think it was in the UK, I want to say Ireland, it could be wrong. There's a, a National Health Service Agency that provides services to people with cystic fibrosis. And if you know about CF, the, there's stuff that builds up in your lungs. And so you have to have special exercises to kind of loosen that to help people uh, breathe. People couldn't travel to that facility. No. So they no. use teams to say, okay, here's how you do the exercise mm. and here's how you keep up with that. And uh, I think it just kind of showed the power wow. of this kind of platform to not just show video, but to to help sort of bring people together to collaborate in all kinds of different scenarios. Wow. See, the benefit that a, a company like Microsoft has, and I would love to hear your feedback as well, 
you guys have uh, obviously a very well-known brand and you guys have um, large budgets to be able to push a messaging across. The key then is just what the messaging is. How do you want to portray this, this, this new software or software that people might not you know, have heard about? And so that becomes the key is the messaging. And, and I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. The marketing team did a fantastic job on that. Do you guys work very closely with the marketing team? So you guys under, do you guys analyze the users and what, how they use it and then they focus on the messaging or is it like you both look at the same things? I think we work super closely with them. I love my colleagues in marketing. I have, I think, a fantastic marketing team. Um, I tend to dive into the telemetry around usage and scenarios and outcomes. So right. I look at, you know, uh, how many room systems get used on a monthly basis. What do people do on those room systems? Where are they by geography? Does it go up and down by time of year? Um, if we added a specific feature, does it drive more engagement? I think our marketing friends, so we both talk a lot to analysts, industry analysts to see, hey, how's the messaging resonating? What are customers saying? Right. Marketing friends talk a lot to press. And so they deliver the message, but they get back from the press. Like, what are what are the kinds of questions that people are asking? They certainly do a ton of research on um, uh, how people buy products and what they're willing to pay for and what names, brands, messages resonate to help get the, the story across. Uh, and so we come together to figure out everything from what should a new feature get named to when should we announce some key new features or partnerships or products? How should we do that? Um, and go to market is extremely complicated. So, you know, there's tons of benefits to being at a, a large company like Microsoft. The, the opportunity for impact is massive. Oh, yeah. And to bring something new to market is complex. Um, mm -hmm. We have a very large business sales force, but we also have a lot of products. So how do you like get sellers to care about a specific thing? How do yeah. you get them to understand? How do you get them trained, incented, uh, compensated for it? How do you then use our partner ecosystem? So is there a partner program you create? Do you plug into a program? Uh, I deal with products IT buys. So do you create an IT certification? around mm. all up teams or teams rooms specifically because it's kind of a different AV crowd. So there's there's a I'm I'm very fortunate that there's a ton of really skilled groups teams within Microsoft that know all the things I mentioned and and we can right. collaborate with all of them. Yeah. And you mentioned a very key important part which is like how do you get the customers to pay more attention to teams versus other products because there's so many different products. But the other question is the investment within the organization. Yeah. Because there are so many different products. How does Microsoft as a team decide whether, hey, obviously very lucky or unlucky, the pandemic happened and you guys had all the features ready, but you guys built this all before the pandemic. How did you guys decide to invest in teams more than another product? Like what, what are yeah. the conversations that, that happened? Well, by the way, I don't want to give you the impression we had it all built before the pandemic. We, we've we grown the team's team a lot over the last two years, and we've grown the product 
when I look at the interface you and I are in right now, yeah. the news interface, yeah. it's almost hard to recognize it to before the pandemic. <laughs> you know, everything moved around okay. and we added so many features. But I think your macro question is, um, how do we make the decision to invest? And I, yeah. I think a lot of it is listening to what's resonating with customers. Uh, mm. So I, I, I'm very grateful for our company leadership. I think like many companies, when the pandemic started, we were pretty cautious. I mean, who, you know, who knew? Is, is work even going to go on? Is the economy just going to shut down? And then the, the thing that um, was sort of fascinating, so we sent the team's team home a little early. We thought the shutdown was going to come, and we were like, hey, we want to try living this ourselves. So a couple of weeks before things really started shutting down, we said, okay, we're all going to try working from home and tons of rough edges, things we instantly said, you know, we need reactions, we need more video feeds, we got to get going on this. But I think we also saw the promise of we can work this way. It's exhausting. For instance, we didn't have background blur and segmentation. So, boy, it's kind of exhausting to have people staring at your messy office or yeah. your wife walking by, or your kid walking into the room. We should accelerate that. Add that, yeah, uh, yeah. And so, what our leadership started hearing, started seeing, is that they work on teams. When they spoke to customers, they started hearing kind of an urgent plea of like, "We need these things faster." Um, I was talking to an airline. Uh, they had a culture where everybody would gather the top leadership in the CEO's boardroom like every week. And that's how they made decisions for that airline. And all of a sudden they couldn't do that. And so they deployed teams incredibly quickly because that's how they needed to keep going and quickly had a bunch of features. For sure. So I think our senior leadership team kind of realized the potential and um, asked us to go as quickly as possible. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Like, so customer data and understanding the customers, that was really what drove all the, the, the key decisions to move the investments towards an area. So that means data really is oh, what's the most important, huge. right? How, how large, just to give us an idea, like, do you know how large the data, just the data team is compared to marketing or product or whatever? Is it larger, same size or? Do I don't know off the top of my head, but I, I would also say living the data is like, that's all of our jobs. Um, yeah. Every morning I, I get up with my cup, a cup of coffee at six o'clock, I look at our dashboards. So I see yeah. how many how many calling users are there? How many used it yesterday? How many devices were active yesterday? What like I spend an hour every morning trying to see where we are. Um, yeah. And I think that's just good product management. But don't get me wrong, there is there are several teams whose jobs are to take the telemetry our products generate. And, and again, we're very lucky with cloud-connected products, we get a lot more telemetry. Um, and to then turn that telemetry into consumable data, into dashboards that actually provide interesting signal. Yeah, so uh, a key, obviously data is very important nowadays when it comes to paid advertising or SEO or any kind anything that you're doing data is so important. Obviously you guys still come across data issues, but yeah. is it, it like how accurate do you think the data within Microsoft is? 
uh, like you said, there's always going to be mistakes and, and bugs that happen. So we've had issues where we've, um, for example, I track uh, monthly active room systems and we've had issues where sometimes we could count a room system twice if someone wiped it and re-imaged it and we weren't oh. quite generating a unique enough key. And so we fixed that. Um, we try to uh, sort of check our data multiple ways. Like I talk to the OEM partners who make the devices. I talk to customers. We get sales data from distributors and we try to sort of triangulate and say, uh, are we close? And if we're like, huh, there's a big enough gap, we we ask our data teams to investigate. Um, yeah. And that's where, I, like, the way I think of it is you got to look at the numbers, but you also have to talk to your early adopter customers, your partners. Like, you, you really have to get a qualitative sense to go with the quantitative. Yeah, because there's never going to be like an exact truth when it comes to when you, you're talking about millions of data points across so many different devices it's hard to get a real real number right um so you just got to come close and then you gotta yeah you gotta mix it with the qualitative um and you gotta that's, try that's, to flow insights from the data right like like yeah you get lots and lots of data points what, what's the takeaway or few takeaways and, and how do you how do you sort of start to formulate those insights, not not just looking at the forest of data? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, th I think that that covers al almost everything. I mean, there's a million other things that I would would love to talk to you about, but uh, give us a sense of the next um, when we're talking about teams. What are uh, what does the next six to twelve months look like? Is just more or the less more or less the same just in, in increasing um increasing different features are there things that you're looking forward to or things that we should be looking forward to uh within the microsoft team software yeah so i think uh the the place we're in now is kind of a reality of hybrid work and that reality changes by person and by company someone's company might say hey look 90 percent of us are going to be in every day um, we're super distributed. Half my team's in Vancouver. I'm going to be up there next week, actually visiting them. So okay, on any given let day, me know. We'll let me know. We'll do some hot sauce together. <laughs> so like on any given day, best case, I could get half my team into one place because they're in different places, and I have people who work in right. New York and in Texas. So right. that's going to differ. But I think the tools can get so much better at blurring those lines. So all of our focus is like, how do we make the reality of hybrid work better on multiple dimensions? Uh, for my area, devices, calling, and in meetings, I think we can apply AI. Uh, so if you and I were in the same room right now, there'd be mm. one camera, we wouldn't need to get a square of video. So somebody else watching us would be like, well, like, is that Simon or is that Ilya? Because there's just this one camera in the room. Well, we can use AI to actually frame each of our faces even though we're wow and create a tile for each of us so that will um, allow that will allow really a true hybrid because people can be in right. office and remote and it will all feel like the same right that's right same platform that's right or you and i have different backgrounds right now and it's okay because it's just you and i talking now if there was 10 of us and we were watching all these videos everyone has a different background it actually is kind of mentally exhausting well, if we can do background segmentation like this to create a blur, 
we can just equalize everyone to say, look, everyone gets a black background or a Vancouver mm. skyline background. And so now it feels mm. like, again, we're all in one place and there's less mental distraction. Uh, the other thing I'm super excited about is this concept that that may sound counterintuitive. The best meeting is one you don't go to. So you probably have had this like, hey, they're meeting. Oh, yeah. Good, oh, yeah. Maybe five minutes of stuff you need, but like fear of missing out. You don't want to not go. Well, we can record meetings much like you and I are doing. We can create a transcript. That transcript can say who said what. So we actually get a sense of the story. And then we can actually be like, huh, let's play that meeting mm. back at one and a half speed, keep the transcript up with the video and highlight uh, the chapters in the discussion. You know, Simon and Ilya talked about product management, Ilya's history, those are chapters. And we can highlight names like Ilya, this is where you were mentioned or where someone said Ilya should go do this. So maybe wow. I can consume that whole meeting in five minutes, getting just what I needed to get to. So I'm pretty excited about uh, the the opportunity of AI to kind of improve that collaboration, um, and we're gonna we're gonna really try to push the envelope on that. Um, yeah. Ultimately, maybe you're feeling under the weather instead of having your video on, you have an avatar that shows up. Uh, but it mm. still shows your emotions and, and actions and movements, so I still feel connected to you. Just a few examples of where I think we can continue to really raise the bar on making this sort of hybrid work work. How far? Those are some fascinating things. I'm, I'm, I do meetings all day, right, five days a week, and I would love some of these tools personally you, from a personal level are, i connect with people all over the world right so these are not uh, science fiction these are all things you're going to see over the next six to 12 months in team six to 12 months wow okay so i was my next question was going to be how far off are we that is fascinating stuff what about like the blur like you talked a little bit about the background being all black yeah. obviously some people like to blur their background like you're doing now i don't know if it's going to show on the podcast but you are you do have a blurred background how far off are we to like perfect blur where there is no lag when you're moving? Like, is that just camera quality or like what needs to happen? It's a combination of camera quality processing. What makes me very hopeful is it's all machine learning based. Every time someone turns on blur, we learn, we learn more and more. Like at first I would say um, if I was wearing a headset, that would really confuse the blur right around the ears. That right. got a lot better. So I'm I'm very optimistic. We're always going to be limited by, like you said, camera quality, lighting conditions. But I think there's so much more that we can do in the video processing in the AI. Uh, I think the difference between having a green screen and having sort of perfect background replacement and doing it without a green screen has shrunk by 50% or more in the last year. And it's oh, going to continue totally. to trend to like close to zero. So so all of this stuff that's matching the blur with your body, that's all ML. That's all machine learning. It's all ML com com completely. Actually, not only that, so is the noise cancellation that we're doing. So the fact that you, mm. I don't think, can hear my dog barking in the background, that that's our ML-based no. noise suppression. That is fascinating. Well, Ilya, 
It's been a pleasure talking to you. Before we jump out, I would love to do one last Bigger shot with you. Yes. One last <laughs> shot with you. And when you come up to Vancouver, if you do have time, would love to uh, connect and actually do a real shot in person. But um, sounds good. Cheers, cheers and thanks for jumping on. Oh, I gotta go and get some food to line my <laughs> stomach. Anyways, right. cheers. Yeah, thank you so much, and we'll we'll talk very soon.